Welcome to Creative Welly, episode 24. My name is DK. You're very welcome here. This is Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. Big shout out right at the top of this podcast to John O'Tucker, who produces the video podcast. You're listening to the audio podcast on creativewelly.com. You can see the video podcast much better. So John produces from Empire Films the video podcast of this. And also a big shout out to David Hamilton for hosting, hosting us at Flashdog Studios. In this episode, we bring together Joe Cribb, who's a diversity and inclusion consultant, as well as James Partridge, who's a film producer, film festival director, and marketing strategist. We have conversations around the film ecosystem within New Zealand, the gender and ethnicity pay gap within New Zealand, public service, compassion, courage, creativity, and everything in between. Enjoy this podcast. Who are your heroes in real life? Should I go? Um, so I am so lucky enough to be the chair of the Wellington Homeless Women's Trust and we, at any one time we have 15 women who are deemed by, I guess, the state as homeless and just learning about their lives and what they have had thrown at them and that they're still there and that they're amazing, I just, I'm in awe, absolutely in awe of those amazing women and that they're there, they're surviving, most of them can see a future, you know, and they've had every every possible mm. experience. They've been let down by absolutely everybody, and they're incredible. Mm. How long have you been part of that organisation? Three or four years, wow. yeah. Okay. yeah. And you can just see, you can imagine what it's like through COVID. Um, we're worried, particularly worried, I guess, about uh, they're some of the most vulnerable members of our community. Um, mm. You know, we're really kind of potentially exposed over the next month or so, but by gosh, we're going to do everything. Yeah, mm. wow. Have you seen the numbers go up or down just because of, I always... We could fill our beds think. five times over. Is that right? Every night, yeah. It's devastating. Mm. But equally, you know, the testament, yeah, but the we human can condition of... Totally amazing human beings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. I just think they're my heroes. Mm. Yeah. I, I'd second that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd jump in because obviously I worked in the not-for-profit space yeah, too yeah. a lot and seen the obstacles people have had to overcome Absolutely. and it puts a lot into perspective Doesn't for you. It? Like yeah. when you're faced with a challenge and you're faced with adversity, you kind of go, it's really nothing compared yeah, like to Yeah, like I'm going to have dinner tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what to choose for dinner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or, 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 you know, if you've failed at something, it's like that's perspective-wise, it's yeah, nothing compared totally. to what these people go through and what mm. they manage to... To, to you know, and they do it themselves. I mean, you're supporting them in a way, but really, that yeah. comes from within. So you kind of, you know, understand that. I guess the other person for me, although my both my parents were, were wonderful, my grandfather was a really big influence on me. He mm. was on my mother's side. He was um, creative and he was fun and he uh, was very respectful of my grandmother and taught me how I guess how to be a gentleman and how to look at the world and explore the world. He explored the world, and so so I kind of took a lot. I've always yeah, taken a lot from him that's uh, cool. and tried to apply that myself. Mm. Cool. That's lovely. For context, the organisations you've worked with in the NGO space? Uh, Salvation Army, Wellington City Mission, Age Concern and Stroke Foundation. Awesome. Yeah. So it's a full year, about 14 years wow. in the it's fundraising mad. marketing space. Yeah. But obviously we've had quite an engagement in terms of building programmes and yeah. interviewing and talking to people and sharing their experiences mm. with the world. Yes, you yeah. kind of get a real flavour for that. Mm. I'm trying to think now of my real life heroes because, like, 
What a question to start with. Yeah. Bloody hell. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. you chose the numbers you and the yeah, colours. Yeah, you picked it. You did, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah someone, we all did it. We all played. Talk about it. We should be talking about yeah. it. Yeah. I want to I pick a family member as well. There's a, there's a, um, I had a great uncle, mm. so my dad's uncle, and he was more like my grandfather, only because my grandfather died when I was about five or six. Uh, so he was a, a longer part of my, my kind of history and formative years. But he was mad as a box of frogs. He was brilliant in all the right ways you want a guy to be in terms of like the stories he used to tell. Mm. Uh, he was down the pit when he was down when he was 14 in mm. the Welsh uh, coal mines. Um, he traveled the world obviously in, uh, in the war and stuff and and just some of the adversity that he had to mm. face. Um, being down the pit at such mm. a young age mm. and some of the stories he would tell. He broke his back down the pit, whole oh. cold face fell on him, he dug him out. Oh, yeah. And they put him up in this newfangled technology in the hospital called traction. Jesus. So he literally was strung up for a couple of weeks, and it was just before the 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 just whilst the war just broke up broke out in 1939, and then they kicked him out because the war injured oh, yeah. were coming back and they needed the hospital. Um, but it fixed him this traction, this newfangled idea of putting someone in traction. Uh, which was the height of technology, apparently. Mm. But he had coal dust in his in his head there because of the mining injuries that he had mm. permanently. So he's like scarred by coal dust as well. And mm. he was just like, he's just bonkers. And he lived till he was 99. Mm. And he just, just was a trooper. He had the attitude that showed me that the gregariousness of what you face throughout life, you can, mm. it, it is all down to attitude. Mm. You know, definitely things come at you at... Mm. Uh, and sideswipe you that you didn't expect, but wow, that that guy lived a life and mm. showed me that you can, yeah. But it's funny. Um, did you realise that at the time? And there's a subtext to my question. So I would say I've got a grand. If I had a family member who's a hero, it's a grandfather as well. So my gotcha. mother's father, and um, he was an amazing human being in that he was back way before the public service reforms. He ran the health department for the whole of the South Island and we'd be at his place having dinner and someone would ring up and complain about some bad fish they'd eaten or something. You know, that okay. sense of real, we, we were really connected to our, and he'd uh, do something about it. But um, he also, up until he, you know, took up the last couple of years of his life, um, he would stay overnight in the wet shelter uh, with the men um, and he, would, he was amazing. And I didn't really realise that you you kind of get the footprint right in the DNA. Mm. So I look back and go, yep, there's a history of service. I didn't really have a choice, nice, do you know? Yeah. It was kind of imprinted. So are there imprints that you think you've... And it's not till I look backwards when I look at the choices, like I was, do you know, they weren't really choices. They were within perimeters, to, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Well, that generation. Who's a stockbroker, though? How does that work? Oh, yeah. Well, that's just you. <laughs> You're good at keeping organised. You, <laughs> you understand money. It does sort of make things work. Yeah. To but solve like, problems how does in some that, that play through? This good point. That generational yeah. imprinting of yeah. kind of that generational DNA, because there is generational trauma now. That yes, absolutely. Contract. I'm sure yeah. there's a propensity in our DNA that echoes back to service. So what you wouldn't class as, oh, you're just tall or short or dark. Yeah, or yeah. No, there's some character yeah. that you embody based on that. So, yeah. Um, so are you as mad as a box of, what did frogs, you say, box frogs. of frogs? It's a very Welsh thing to say. Mad <laughs> as a box of frogs. Um, I don't know, but I'm definitely gregarious and like yeah. to do stuff and yeah. kind of keep going. 
uh, at times. Um, so even though you shouldn't, maybe. So yeah, maybe. Good point. I'm just trying to picture a box of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's mad having a it's box a of frogs. Just think about it. Frogs, there you go. Thanks. Frogs are less dangerous, I guess. So you're yeah, rather dangerous. Is that thing? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you say? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I never thought about that. My other favourite um, Welsh um, idiom, if you like, and I've never heard it outside of Wales, so I don't even know if it is uh, yeah. a Welsh thing, but I've just never heard And we used to say it of my brother who used to fall asleep anywhere. And there's a saying that ours, or he, he can fall asleep on a chicken's lip. Which I never understood. Only to the point, there's no lips on chickens, yeah. but he can fall asleep on a chicken's lip. Maybe I have no idea. I can deconstruct that back to he can fall asleep anyway. That's interesting. Yeah, My grandfather was Welsh, but I'd never heard that phrase. Right? Maybe it's a valley so. thing or a specific place thing. I don't know, but I know it was said a lot on my bro, and I've never heard it anywhere else on the planet. <laughs> And that's because it doesn't mean anything. It's stupid, but it's fun. What yeah, saying is interesting to find out what the meaning it must be. Yeah, it's got to be. I'm just thinking, what sayings have you brought up with that you never hear anywhere? Oh, good grief. Yeah. I can't. I, I mean, bo- box of fluffy ducks is something that yeah, always sticks yeah. in is my that head. Yeah. yeah, it's like, how are you? A box of fluffy ducks. Yeah, it's, and it's I've, weird. It's it? weird. Yeah. Well, it's, I suppose you're, you're good and you're happy and you're right with the world, I yeah. guess. Oh, you but say it in response to how are you? Yeah, yeah, how are you? Oh, box of fluffy ducks. As in, you're great. Mm, you're great. Yeah, I know As what it means, so we've yeah, all yeah. used it. But I, it's not, so, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know. The older you get, the less it relevant is. But I've said it a few times yeah. in the last couple of years, randomly. Like, it just comes to my head. Uh-huh. It's not like it's something that I think about all the time. But a you say saying. it, and then people just look at you going, what is that? What? Where did okay. that come from? I guess it's yeah. like you younger know generations. It? Yes, I know it, but right. I also know what a fluffy duck is because I had an auntie who used to make them, and it's an alcoholic drink where they put some sort of <laughs> advocate, like a, a yellow liqueur in the edge, like lemonade, and it good. goes all fluffy. And it was the height of sophistication if he gave it when we were little, if we were allowed to sip. There you go. So maybe it's not literal in terms of because fluffy maybe ducks. Maybe you've just had too so many fluffy I'm ducks. Dr- I'm drunk or hung over, <laughs> but I still feel good. Because <laughs> I had a drink, I don't know. Wow. The, uh, the height stuff. of like 70s or 80s sophistication, yeah. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Deep shag, shag pile carpets. Yeah, and just totally. Like, Fondues. Fluffy, <laughs> orangey, yellowy drinks. Plastic everywhere. Totally. Totally. Wow, fluffy ducks. I'm going to might have to use that mm. in totally random context and see how people react to it. Well, now my interpretation of it's slightly different. It's no, 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 they might not be. They may not. I doubt they're related. But when you see fluffy ducks, that's what I remember. I remember sitting under tables, putting my hand out, trying to get, trying to try it. Yeah. You did that, didn't you? Sometimes. No, my parents were drunk. <laughs> and we never went anywhere oh, Did you that. not do that? Trying no, to sneak no, wasn't that adventurous? Probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bless you. Random conversations. Love yes. this. But it is interesting just to, to carry on on yeah, that yeah. So, because these are all things that we've, I mean, they're all spoken conversations. Mm. Mm. Things we've heard, the, yeah, the totally. engagements we've had with you know, grandparents or parents mm. and so on. And, yeah. and so I guess what I wanted to carry, I had a question if, mm. from you about the drive in mm. the area, particularly NGO, not-for-profit mm. space that you have. I know mine's been informed by that engagement. Mm. It was mm. never, until I actually had that one-on-one experience and actually got to talk to somebody, it was the mm. first time I was, uh, well, probably make me tear up talking about it, but I remember talking to this woman about her experience and her family and all of that stuff. And from that point onwards, literally it was a phone conversation, but it was a conversation. It wasn't anything written or watching something on YouTube. It was that conversation that I had that imprinted on me and has changed me and changed everything I've done since that point. And the reason why I'm still in that space, I still work in that space and I'm passionate about it. 
um, does, did you have the same, did that, was that the same effect for um, you? Or? I think it was always kind of there and um, I, I just had a kind of sense that I was walking in shoes that I should be, if that makes sense. And it was very much just watching, um, you know, particularly that line my mother my mother does as well. She volunteers and gives, she would give anything to anybody. If, um, and that line, it just was the way you do things. It was just like kind of bred into you. And I don't think I was conscious about it, but when I look back at all my, what I studied and my career choices, so clear. I didn't realise it. Um, and what was, what was what, I, what was I engaged in and when a job started to get boring why it did like it's all obvious now it was totally driven and I'm really and it's the hardest issues of it's the working in the family violence it's the child poverty it's the not being afraid to go into the dark places yeah and I think that's exactly what my grandfather did at a time that was probably quite unusual but yeah, hmm. yeah. That's, yeah. some of that spirit to be able to yeah. Enable that change in some way, yeah. or feeling like you can use the skills that you've brought yeah. with you to make yeah. that change. Interesting, though, and I'd be interested in um, your pathway as well. I wonder if my time is coming to an end too, whether you just get to a wee bit cynical and I'm starting to uh, st- study high-end wine. <laughs> like, do you know? So you're moving to the perhaps the hedonistic end of the. We actually, I'd just like to go and look at grapes growing. <laughs> Do you, I wonder if you do eventually just run out? There is a like a empathy I, I die down, I, isn't there? You know, I, um, I, and I wonder if eventually I'll come there to go. Actually, you know, I've done. I've I've come. I've it's somebody else's turn now. Maybe I don't know. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, I've kind of got to that point. Mm-hmm. Although one thing that I am going to be doing is is setting up a not for profit in the screen sector yeah. around, and I guess that's something that. I guess I'll say, I can say I, I can control. It's not really about that because I'm not going to actually end up running it. But it's something that I mm. know that's very personal to me. It's not working on behalf of someone else. Mm. So I don't know whether that's my change and mm. that I've been working for a lot of organisations and done this work and I'm mm. very proud of it and incredibly proud of the organisations I've worked with. But this is something that's even more passionate for me. And I guess mm. film is sort of indulgent in a way, mm. but it is going... No, it's it's my time to set something up or do yeah. something, but yeah. there's a there's a wider goal in that, and and, it, and it's indulging my creative side, and mm. it's indulging a passion, I guess. So mm. it's so it's sort of altruistic, but also selfish mm. in a weird way. Mm. But I'm I'm with you on that because mm. I I got to a point fourteen years you get it's it's hard, it's not easy. I mean, you know, you're, you're buoyed by the fact that you're doing these incredible things, and and what you're doing is incredible, mm. you know, and you go. But it's hard. You mm. take it home with you. It stays with mm. you. And, and, and often it's not necessarily the, the people. Sometimes mm. the organisations you're working with mm. can make it not as easy mm. as yeah, you'd totally, like. Totally. And you can get burnt out by it because yeah. it's a 24-7 thing. It sticks totally. in you. Like it's if, with um, you all the time. So like if it's raining at night, I'll go, I wonder who's sleeping out in that rain. Yeah, I mean, like it doesn't, you yeah, You don't not, stop. You yeah. can't switch it. <laughs> um, I, still think, I still think I've got a few years yet. I've got yeah. some more. Can we say shit? Sorry. No, you can. There's still quite a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But eventually you can see a point where you go, actually, I'm going to start being the problem maybe and I need to go and smell grapes. So to reflect <laughs> on your question, what I find fascinating is the people I know who have sustained a massive public sector career yeah. have had to change because of it yeah. rather than the other way around. Because yeah. most people go nice into this public sector yeah. 
really with a lot of uh, vigour. Yes. And that's public service at their core and their yes. heart. And a lot of them do get burnt out. Yes. Get um, crushed by the systems, yeah. political yeah. or yeah. Yeah. political with big P or small yep. P. Yep. Or just that it, the empathy train just yep. leaves the station because yep. it's just like, man, I've been doing this for so long. We just yeah, it's, it's getting issue. worse. It's not getting better or whatever, thing. and they just have to go somewhere else and put mm. their energy elsewhere. Mm. So I'm wondering if the you know the longevity is down to a fluidness of adaptability mm. in in someone's condition, mm. rather than just mm. like, oh, I'm just done with that. It's like, no, you and and maybe the global. Uh, situation as well, not just COVID, but mm. I just mean that now we understand careers aren't just for life. Mm. You know, just go back 20 years. Mm. You know, when I first started my career in public sector, mm. in local government, mm. local authorities, you know, most people I was surrounded by were people who were literally careers. Mm. You know, they were there for their whole career. Mm. I know they were 40, 50, 60, and they've mm. only done that. Mm. Whereas now we know that we totally. are fluid enough to adapt mm. and, and change our careers. Maybe there's something mm. there that it's not just mm. that you've you've run out of steam. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you just have different focuses mm -hmm. and the target is one, it's many. Mm -hmm. Don't know. Well, I think I already did that. So I was a career public servant, mm -hmm. but it, 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 I got to the point where the ask was bigger than, do, do you know? So you're okay. quite senior. And so my next job was probably going to be very operational mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do 80 hours doing something I was I was supposed to do. Does that make sense? Rather than what I really... Was this when you were Chief Exec of Ministry yes, of so Women? so obviously you could keep on going in your career. Yeah, because I see that. Next one would that. be a really big operational, potentially operational role, if that okay. makes sense, and then bigger CE roles. And mm. um, I didn't want to trade off the time with my kids and it wasn't aligned to my passions. Yeah. So it took a wee while to work out that it's actually about serving the public. It isn't about mm. the institution. That took me a long while to work out. And it isn't about the job title. Yeah. It's about your influence. And the two aren't necessarily related. Mm. Particularly when you're in those really big senior roles, you would have found that. You spend a lot of time uh, making the organisation run as opposed to making a difference. Is that, yeah? yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I was head of a department mm. of marketing and, and, and I sort of stepped back out of that. I mm. actually enjoyed... I've been more effective as a consultant in a way mm. um, because I was freed up of a lot of the leadership challenges, mm. although that had some frustration too because yeah. you want to drive an organisation yeah, a certain totally. way and they don't necessarily want to go in that way. But I did, when I was tasked with specific things and I yeah. had some freedom around solving a problem, I actually found that quite rewarding. So that was mm. sort of the second half of my mm. stint there and now that's kind of mm. evolving into something that's actually really trying to apply all that into mm my passion. I think age mm. drives a little bit of it. I'm not getting yeah. any younger, so I guess there's that yeah. part of you going, what do I, what legacy do I want to leave yeah. without nice. being too cliched? Nice. But but that's, for me, it's like going, I want to be able to do something that I said on, you know, yeah. I left a mark. Not that it has my name all over it, because I think a lot of yeah. the things that I've, you know, done and things we've done would never have, we wouldn't no. want our names on them. No. <laughs> no. But there is something that just sort of, you know, is applying all the stuff that I've learned across into... Yeah. This last, yeah, this last, he says, the passion project yeah. That, yeah. that you really feel that, and again, it's 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 got an element of that, but it's got elements yeah. of other things. Before we go into like. where you're at, could I just linger on what maybe you've learned based on your previous pedigree in terms of leadership, both style, both uh, lessons, mm. both what not Great to do, questions. right? Because both of you have held different positions, but different in a good way. 
but you both had leadership and you both experienced leadership from mm. inside and out mm. as well. Like what would be your big kind of stories or takeaways from mm. a leadership lens? Mm. How do you kind of say, well, that summed it up for me, my mm. leadership journey, or this is what I see leadership as based on these experiences? Mm. Um, so I, I guess, grew up in terms of, I guess, leadership within the public service. And I would say in my um, early years, there was a very clear model about what that good leadership looked like, and it was very command and control. It mm. was very hierarchical. Um, and so to be a good leader, I, I felt I needed to have the answers and that your staff would come to you and you'd give them the answers. Um, and that's what we did. And I probably spent the early years of my career sitting outside uh, managers' uh, doors waiting for them to tell me what I already knew, you know, right. there's that, you know or signing something to authorise you to move forward. Mm. That's just the nature of, I guess, big hierarchies and bureaucracies. Um, and I got to the point where I was a uh, second tier in quite a big role, um, I had a, I think Isaac, my son, was 14 months and I had a six-month-old baby. And I was back at work and um, and I was behaving in the way that good leaders, I thought good leaders were, which meant I carried it all on my shoulders. Right. And, um, yeah, one day I just couldn't get out of bed because you can't mm. do it. And that's where I went, there's got to be, the choice is write a jacket in and I stay at home and eat biscuits. That sounded quite good. Mm -hmm. um, or I actually find a different way to lead. If I'm determined to make a difference, I can't do it. This does not work. It's not, it's not sustainable. It's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable for anyone. I don't want to have the answers and I don't want people to have to come and ask me continually for permission. Mm -hmm. So I um, was lucky enough to get on what was called then the Advanced Leadership program for the public service okay. and basically they do deconstruct like it's a very intense three years very um very raw and it was actually I am quite comfortable in hiring amazing people and getting out of their way or creating like I can trust that was the big thing I can trust somebody that mm. they'll do a great job I can actually do that and that's so much more satisfying than not trusting and telling people what to do so I did I probably over two or three years uh, pivoted to that kind of a model I'd probably um, but but you, you know you've got 20 years of being told what leaders look like right or seeing them or seeing them and people behaving like that and being rewarded like yeah. that command that tightness that do you know um, um, very much I guess it's the public services there is a risk aversity given the nature of the mm. work and the nature of the environment but that really isn't it is it's a complete waste of humanness hey and what did we ever think that one person at the top of a pyramid would know everything? Because that's what the whole thing is, right? As you get higher and higher, you're it's supposed to know more and more. No, you just know different things, or you just think about different things. Well, you get stuck in certain ways. Or you, and you're only as good as your front as, as the rest of the organisation yeah. doing their roles. I think of it more as an organisation as a cog, and all the cogs have to work. Nice. And you're just one yeah. cog, right? And yeah. just because you've got a CE and you happen to be paid more and you get a car park, do you know? Unless the, all the other cogs are working, you, yeah, it, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And so, just completely rethought. But we, even the organisational trees, have you know the top of the. We're all driven mm. to this, and there's a whole drive that you've to to get power or to get influence. You have to get up that tree. Yeah. And my experience would be when you're in those really senior roles, you're probably le far less able to. To manoeuvre because you're much more, I guess you've got a much stronger interface with the centre and its rules, you've got a stronger interface yeah. with politics. The people who can actually probably make a difference are your kind of senior thought leaders. 
and we don't kind of think about it like that, do yeah. we? Because they've actually got influence and time to think and to strategize. And, and space to play and space experiment. To play and, and yeah. yeah, so I just, yeah, I think I we that, have, yeah. I wonder if we've been sold something, right? Do we have to be, are we sold that the dream of to be successful, you have to climb up this Definitely. Aren't we? Yeah, I guess. Everything is premised on it, though, but it, I'm not convinced. And I know lots of smart people have worked that out and don't aspire. There's a great Alan yeah. Watts yeah. Uh, thing about that. It can know. make a real difference. Yeah. I'm not, not going to say I'm smart. Space. Because I, I, the last role I was in, I was, you, you get sucked into the leadership team. Yeah. And actually you find all your time and energy is actually it's drained out of the fact that you... Yeah. You're working, like making the business run, not on the issue. Yeah, on the, the issue itself. And yeah. I prefer that, which is why I yeah, stepped so. out. Mm at one point to do that and that's what I prefer to do I'd mm. rather be sort of isolated out but given mm. the freedom to do mm. what I've done like I'm not saying everything I, I come up with is right but mm. the free that that's where that's my happy place mm. and I kind of am trying to you know over the last few years of moving out of getting caught up in that machine mm. as much as I can mm. although then but then the old hierarchical system if you want to have some influence you've got, got to have it, yeah. you've got to be plugged in in some way so yeah, totally. there's a weird balance the machine, there where right? you've got yeah you've yeah. got to work the machine and, mm. and you and if you're sitting outside here you can't have influence on some of the decision making yeah. and so yeah it's kind okay. of a, a weird balance how totally. far do you get dragged in here and how mm. far do you sit outside mm. but I think you're absolutely bang on it's you've got to be able to keep thought leadership going mm. and you've got to be able to keep that creativity going because you're never going to solve problems mm. without it. Totally. Yeah. totally. You're just going to get stuck in things. And I have day. huge respect for people who are what I would say are professional leaders. So they run organisations mm. um, and, um, and, and there's amazing leaders who do that really well. Like They create great environments where people can flourish. Um, I think they're quite rare. That's an amazing leader. Um, but that isn't leadership right are the only form of leadership right mm. i think there's leadership throughout organizations throughout society but somehow we tag leader to job title away eh? yeah and the like, pyramid and idea the pyramid the yeah that leadership kicks in about third tier right and everyone else mm. is not the really. doers and i i, I <laughs> yeah. did a just to add to that pyramid old mm. and and to maybe give a, a different twist on it I had an experience when i was still living back in the uk mm in Bristol at the time and I was on a, a year-long leadership course to do uh, with an organization called Common Purpose and their tagline was leading without authority mm. which straight nice. away lends yep. something to yep. where you move yourself you still have mm. so much influence mm. but you you know haven't got the authority but you're still leading yeah, and influencing totally. because you have the freedom right mm. and that was their whole thing they brought 30 people together every year for a year-long um, every one day every month and we go to mm. different people's operations and we spend a day with them we have a half day together talking about leadership mm. in all different contexts so I went to like schools and biscuit making factories to prisons and things like that That's just amazing. to see all the different places uh, and we had great conversations but their model of hierarchy they mm. had one mm. but they had, had a little flavor to the top where they pull up, pulled out the pyramid and said, look, leadership traditionally is this apex mm. idea of you mm. climb to the mm. top. And then once you're there, once you make that little apex, then you're the leader. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and you d obviously devolve responsibility mm. and, uh, and stuff mm. like that. But the better leaders carry on. Mm. They go through the apex and they mm. become more open and more curious mm. and interested in other things. Mm. And the better leaders are a lot more open They've gone through that. Don't get me wrong. They've had to travel through because mm. that's the world, they mm. were saying. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the system. Yeah. But the better leaders keep going. 
yeah. and they can now broaden themselves. So, and that was evidence in when you find a leader in inverted mm. commas who can only speak within their mode yeah. of authority yeah. and their mode of industry versus you find a good leader who is just madly Global curious and going, tell me how Global you're doing vision. this. And, yeah, yeah. And, and they try to uncover, even though they might be heading up an architectural practice, yeah. they want to know about how they're making shoes because yeah. they'll yeah. find ideas yeah. and creativity. So maybe that's yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a model a nice of just going, keep going. Yeah, keep going. You know, if you're a leader, that's your halfway. Yes. Yeah. Now you've got to prove yourself as a better human yep. leader. Yeah. So you've okay. led an organisation, now lead change in the world. There we go. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So that was my well, no, Sorry. Cool. I, like I, the da- I like the dance. Yeah. I want to see the <laughs> interpretive dance <laughs> that comes dance, out right? yeah. with your box of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> I always, uh, always when I see um, interpretive dance, like modern dance, I struggle with that. It's just mm. I don't have the literacy to deconstruct mm. it. Um, I appreciate it, but, yeah. but I always am very rude about it because like a lot of arms flailing and head push. There's always a head push in there somewhere. Have you noticed? Just me. <laughs> just you. It's just me, head push. There we well, go. We'll be dragging along to any movies with interpretive dance. There we go, definitely. So we covered off the leadership stuff. So what are you all doing now? Tell us about you. You go yeah. first. No, you go first this time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I've, I've finished my major contract in the last not for profit. So I have mm. a bit of background, I guess. I have a marketing company, and that, that's a marketing consultancy, and that's been working a lot with not for profits, but it works with a range of industries too. Mm. Uh, and then the film business, and the film business has has evolved from promoting New Zealand film all the way through to now running a film festival, but also producing film. Actually, I've produced films across the board, but now it's about really dedicating myself yeah. to that and actually creating pathways and, and opportunities for, for upcoming talent and New Zealand filmmakers to come through, which there aren't currently, or there, there are sort of, but not as mm. good as they could be. Uh, and a lot of it's driven by sort of the government side of things, mm. which, is, which is great, and I'm not, certainly not criticising that, but there also needs to be a market element to that. Mm. And a lot of the work that I've done in the promotion side sent me overseas to mm. festivals, and, mm. and, and I've sort of built up a network of, of people and sort of realised that, the, that you know, there needs to be a pathway. And, I, and I'm very fortunate with the festival that I, I've been working with the universities, with Massey, and, and hearing the stories of the students coming through going, hey, we're doing what we love, <clears throat> but there's no pathway for us yeah. outside of. Yeah. In fact, there was a conversation I had with probably the most talented student from the, the year previous group, and they said the entire third-year class got together to figure out how they could all move to Australia and support each other so that that was because that's where the opportunity yeah. was. Yeah. And I was like, that's criminal. Mm. Like, how was that happening? That's, yeah. and, and, and then also the year before that that we were working with, um, you know, I think of the 10 talented people, Oh, one of them is working in film now of the mm, ten, mm. and two of them I think are working for commercial agencies, and that's mm. about it. Mm. So you go, something's broken. Yeah. There. So give us a lay of the land. What what is? Because mm. you know we're not in mm. film. So for someone who go in, okay, there's something broken here. What what's the current yeah. climb when it comes to film producing, making, and talent? I, I think it's a, 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 an actual pathway. I think we've been right. great, and again, none of the, I don't even want any of this to come across as a criticism, but you know, in, from, from my opinion, you know, the film industry is a success in New Zealand, but a lot of it is determined on being a service provider, mm. and that's not sustainable, as we saw with Amazon pulling out mm. recently. 
you know, we are, we're a, we're a, you know, an amazing service provider. What we do is mm. incredible. And then we have pockets of talent that manage to break out, you, you know, your Peter Jacksons, your Tikers. Mm. But that's very rare. Mm. And also seeing a lot of the filmmakers who I have friends with now, you know, mm. they'll be lucky if they make a film every five or six years. Mm. That's a hobby. It's not a job. Mm. Yeah. And if you look at the employment numbers around that, mm. you go, uh, the number of full-time employed people in the screen industry in New Zealand really hasn't changed despite all our success. A lot of them are contractors mm. and a lot of them do it ad hoc. And if we don't, I guess, I'll get, I'll get on my soapbox, mm. um, if we don't start generating our own intellectual property and supporting our own talent and creating an environment where we're actually leveraging that, creating careers, creating profit from that, mm. we're going to be back in the dark ages once Netflix decides to pull out and Peter Jackson retires and, mm. you know, all of those things. We're not, mm. We haven't done anything to, to shore up the foundations of the house. Mm. in essence and that's mm. where I'm mm. moving towards and some of that's producing some of that's generating investment mm. for New Zealand film it's outside of the government system because mm. that is tagged for a very specific important purpose but mm. but there needs to be market money as well and, and there's some I guess some interesting things around the New Zealand environment in terms of the way the money that is there is allocated and again I'm generalizing so, so mm. I'm sure there's but it, it's the New Zealand box office for example is backwards mm. to the rest of the world mm. and the mandate on a lot of the money is to create content for New Zealand eyeballs and we make mm. incredible films and mm. stuff but it doesn't necessarily translate into commercial success yeah. which then provides jobs yeah, so I'm not saying sell out movies gotcha. but I'm saying mm. we've got to think of you know we've got to think globally and mm. think of almost as New Zealand as a studio. It's almost like studio and you just mm. studio Aotearoa, really. And and we have to start generating our own success. Mm. And I think and we do that to a point, but mm. the market has to come to play. And we've never been yeah. great at bringing the market to the table. So if I understand, Sorry. we need so, to make sort of more Marvel type movies. No, it's like popular. Movies. No, absolutely not. I think yeah. there's there's models overseas where companies have made films in a lower budget range that mm. are incredibly successful. Mm. So there's a, there's a company called Blumhouse that, that they make horror thriller. Obviously, it's where I lean slightly further. But they've got 13 years, and I think their average box off, their average production budget is $6 million. Their average box office is 75 Right, okay. On average. So it's, it's a very viable. And if you, if you, from a return on investment point of view, if you rank the best-selling Marvel movie of all time against the 103 films they've made, it would rank 37th. Oh, really? So from, if you look at it, it's, it's switching your brain between mm. the creative side and mm. also the financial and investment mm. side, things I've had to learn, although I did work for National Bank slash ANZ, so I got a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But it's going, actually, making Marvel movies isn't the way for us to go because mm. we can't sustain those massive mm. budgets. And actually, mm. the return on investment on them isn't as great as mm. making films that are, you know, that the market actually wants and that the ROI on is high. Right. And, it, and they fit into our model. So yeah. lower budgets, don't yeah. necessarily need big stars. Yeah. Um, it's all about um, supporting upcoming talent. So a lot yeah. of the, and I'm just using this one company as an example because I know it so well. But you know, directors like James Wan came out of mm. that. He directed mm. a small little horror film back mm. in 2010. Mm. And now he's directing Aquaman. Mm. So there's, there's kind of a hotbed if you look at their first mm. sort of seven years of production. I think there's only one or two films that actually had anybody of note in them. Mm. Because they just went, right, we're going to grab all of the best talent. We're going to, Create a model that means we can invest in that mm. talent. Mm. You know, and I think it's a, you know something mm. we can apply to a lot of things. We can invest in that talent without losing the shirt off our back. Mm. We can then decide what happens after that without taking massive financial hits. But we're working in a space that we know that of if we put ten things out there, mm. two, only two or three of them need to hit in order for us yeah, to yeah, continue, yeah. continue to do that year on year on year. Mm. 
And so it was just about, that's kind of where I've moved my company into going, how do I find investment for the screen industry? How do I produce more New Zealand content and how do we develop IP? And the, and I'll stop after this, sorry, the, the not-for-profit is around um, setting up a, a vehicle to be able to in, engage and, and, and provide support, mentor, you know, um, education as well as funding to develop our own IP in this country. So there you go. Kind of where if, if I could give you Crikey. a magic wand, or <laughs> yeah, even yeah, yeah. a job title of, you know, James is now going to be head of film for New Zealand, something, or I whatever. Want that job. You wouldn't <laughs> want the job, I know. But to then create systems and pathways, what would be just the, the simple, subtle changes mm. that needs to happen within uh, both our nation and then, you know, the systems you could adopt or... I just think investing in, in our talents just, and generating our right. own intellectual property, as mm. I said, I think we don't... We, we do that partially. I'm not saying mm. we don't do it. Mm. But there's, there's, no, there's no system to support that. There's okay. no way of going, hey, we're going to give you... You, know, you might get $10,000 to develop a short, mm. but then what? And then doesn't go anywhere, and that short isn't. Then you're not then going. Well, that's great. That's you know the market mm. really wants that. Therefore, we're going to invest in you to write. So the there's no ecosystem. That you can there's no ecosystem around it, and mm. and we unfortunately work kind of work quite siloed in some ways. There are some great collaborations, but mm. but I think in terms of actually we tend to. I think we need to operate more as an ecosystem. It's mm. exactly your point than individual entities within New Zealand, because New Zealand is too small. Yeah. It's too small to operate as individual studios. We almost need to think about it. And so the entity I was, you know, I've been thinking a lot about is the, it's not creating another studio. Mm. It's actually going, those production companies keep their IP and they utilise mm. that in a way. But, you, I mean, you still have to make a return, mm. so there's a way of structuring that to do that. But I think we've got to look at ourselves as Studio Aotearoa, mm. and there's a, you know we need to invest in that mm. because we're too reliant on companies that come in and use our services, yeah. and then all the money and intellectual property yeah. property and the profit from that goes, goes back overseas. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, we yeah, make some money pay, here. Yeah, but, but they pay minimum wage. It's, it's, that, it's, but it's not right. it's not sustainable. Yeah. It's just yeah. not a, if we're not investing in our own mm. talent yeah. and and deriving you know. Mm. You know, um, profit and uh, careers and everything else mm. off the back of that channel, providing that, mm. then we're we're going to be stuck. We're going to get stuck so at some is point. Is your not-for-profit kind of like the glue that's putting everything sticking, trying to stick things together? I, no, I wouldn't say that. It's it's kind of kickstarting. The, the way I see it is around building up a uh, you know a, a talent pool, mm. and and obviously that's also supportive of the other funding that's out there too. Mm. So you go, you don't look at it. It's not looking at its own. It's going well. There's funding here. Mm. What happens if we can bring more to the table mm. where the, yep. where the things yep. align? It's not yep. about creating another entity that's yep. an individual entity to what's out oh, there at the moment. Cool. It's bringing it yeah. in together and going, yeah. let's provide more opportunity, but let's focus it on New Zealand. Mm. Have you done the, the mapping exercise of... Because I remember when I was 2015 running something called Collider. I don't think we knew each other then. But that was like funded by the city council and it was uh, an event programme for the city all around mm. creativity, digital and tech. Right? And I was working on a biz dojo, it was my last proper grown-up job, uh, four days a week, um, and I was asked to increase the amount of startups in Wellington. Mm. And I was like, fascinated. Mm. Do we know how many there are? Mm. Do we know how to track that? Mm. And the city council was like, uh, just carry on. I was like, cool. But anyway, as part of that process, I did map the ecosystem of the startup mm. thing. And you got lots of different ideas of what startups is, right? Mm. You can definitely have 
the what, and we basically mapped it, and we had dream ups. So people who haven't started but mm. thinking about it, so mm. they're dreaming. Then the startup, then the setups. So actually, they're setting up their startups now. Mm. Then the scale ups, mm. and then the step step ups. Mm. Now they're really cool. stepping up, and now the scale outs because now they're stepping up. And we mapped it, and we we saw that there was a huge amount of support for the startup space. Hardly any support in that, that middle range mm. of when you're mm. employing a few people, mm. and now you're starting to accelerate up mm. and out, and probably have to instill a bit more governance around mm. things, structure, mm. financial report, mm. all these things. There was hardly anything, and mm. I was trying to get people to focus on that. But that simple mapping exercise to mm. see where the gaps is, mm. it'd be fascinating then to lay your path across it. I think that's that, where there were multiple parts to that. Mm. So the right. funding side of it sits outside of so the. Not for profit was kind of at the beginning of that, but then what happens next? And I think that's what we're going to talk about pathways. And it's the same for any business. It's like how do you how do you imply, empower employees that come to your organisation? You've got to provide them a pathway. You can't just go that's great and then reward them with a bit more money. You know if they do well, it's like oh, but as human beings we want to move forward. So how do we do that? And and I guess yeah, that's kind it's of exciting. So it's this different NGO idea. Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's a lot of a lot of lot of work, and obviously a lot yeah. of. The, but again, influenced as we're saying by mm. the past. And I guess mm. what a question I have of Joe because I, mm. you know I looked at your bio and it's all about leadership and governance. Mm. And I look, I I'm I I I like to lead by doing, but I don't think I'm the greatest leader in the world. Mm. Like, not that I've had that many people to lead because I usually work on my own. But but I will. So I guess mm. what in your mind mm. makes great leadership how do you lead you know we touched on it before mm. but how do you lead people how do you how do you empower them what what are the what are the things that you've found in, in what you're doing that that's actually really yeah. en- enabled people to be yeah, 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 the best yeah. that they can be um I what i um learnt and it took me a long time to learn because it actually doesn't come naturally to me is it's very simple it's actually just listening isn't it? And um, again, I think I, I, I have a natural tendency to act and, and I think fast and I work fast. So you leave people behind. So that was always my leadership. Mm-hmm. We're going over here because we need to go there. We need to go there fast because there's a really big issue, right? We want to solve the issue. Um, and people don't, you don't take people with you. So that was always my issue. Um, lots of energy, lots of determination. I think and move fast, really decisive. Most people aren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have a disjunct. So really just, I guess, listening to where people are at um, and just uh, connecting. It's, it's just basic humanity, but it's all, you won't see that in the leadership textbooks, right? It doesn't, there's not a whole chapter on how to just actually stop and listen. There isn't, um, because there's all this, well, if you think about leaders, right? Leaders speak, leaders give answers, leaders are supposed to give vision and all these kind of things, right? Which is a, it's not listening, is it? It's an output. <laughs> it's an output, right? Yeah. Um, but we don't say the reason you'll get that and be successful is because you've listened to everybody, worked out where everybody's mm. at, worked out what's happening in the environment, um, and found and maybe you're the person that joins the dots to find the way forward, and that's your gift. Mm. But everybody else's gift is the intelligence, the smarts. Mm. Do you know? Like there's a. So I think it's just stopping and listening, which to me actually was hard. It's incredibly hard to go. Okay, so where's everybody at? When I just wanted to put my sneakers on, and <laughs> do you know, absolutely. And well, that's why that's not? That's the input now you're looking for, yeah, rather than output. Totally. Um, and I do again think leaders are socialised to tell, to make decisions, right? Uh, to do, th- you know, to action, to 
Would we be, if we spent it all day just listening to people, be seen as a good leader? Probably not, because we didn't do stuff, do you know? We weren't busy. Yeah, we have that balance then. Do you know? So there's a sense that I think we're, again, socialised to be really ineffective leaders, to command and control with no input. It's kind of dumb, right? Mm. When you think about it. Yeah. That would be my Great sense. advice. But I have got a question for you. It's like, what is, I know this is probably too hard to generalise, but what does the world actually think of New Zealand movies? Because we go adore, there's been some beautiful movies this year that we've adored, but we've ad- adored them because they are us on screen. And I always wonder, like, what would Americans think of Cousins or, do you know, um, how would, and it was the, it's the subtlety of the colours and stuff that we all grow up with, do you know? Like, it's the multi-central connection to the movie that other people might not have because it's deeply embedded. So what do they think of them? They, they love them. I mean, really? it's funny, even when yeah. I was, before I even got into the industry, travelling yeah. around doing my OE, there would be people in different countries referencing random New Zealand films. <laughs> I even remember walking into a hotel in Poland and on the television was um, uh, Came a Hot Friday in Polish. Oh, really? And then some, somebody had dubbed, so it was a male voice over the whole... I don't whole... think that one's lasted well. No, no, it, it hasn't. But, but it, it's, it's amazing it, yeah. what it shows you is that these little films we make, yeah. regardless of how they age, yeah. um, permeate into things. And I think a lot of it, you know, without trying to get too cliched, I think, you know, and I, I talk about making more commercial content and I'm looking mm. at that, but I don't mean not losing our storytelling because mm. I think our storytelling is what makes us unique. Mm. Adding the influence, I think what we've got to stop doing is driving it down a pathway going, you've got to make this type of movie because it's right. your this. Right. And go, well, if you want to tell a story about yeah. this, and even mm. though it's got, you'll still infuse your culture and your, mm. and your experiences into that mm. story. And I think that's what we do exceptionally mm. well. We just need to do more of it. But... I think, I, I mean, look, New Zealand film is perceived very well overseas. Mm. Um, I think also a lot of people want to come and make films here. Mm. Uh, but at that indie level, haven't really figured out how, mm. how that works. Mm. I mean, it is a changing world now with COVID. Totally, and, totally. and obviously even like, um, you know, carbon credits and people mm. flying around. It's mm. going to be really interesting to see how those challenges evolve in a, in a modern world. And now you can just scan an environment and recreate New Zealand mm. in the UK if you want to do. Well, I hope yeah. that doesn't happen. But... Mm. But so, so it'll be interesting to see how that is. But you know, New Zealand is perceived exceptionally well. Mm. And, and in areas you wouldn't think. It's mm. not just about the blockbusters and the Hobbits mm. and Lord of Rings. A lot of people reference these random movies mm. that they saw that they were affected by because it had a unique story. It had a and unique New Zealand and authenticity to yeah, it. But yeah, also yeah. a slight angle to it that mm. was, could only be provided by mm. being a New Zealander or, or, or an indigenous New Zealander. Mm. And I think that you don't want to lose that and I think that's actually mm. what makes our films so great. I can remember watching Boy, and I didn't grow up on the East Coast in Aunt Māori, but we went to the dairy and we had those sheets, do you know? <laughs> like the, you know, the horrible fla- ones with flowers on them. Like, well, I, had, I slept on those. Like, and it was like, oh my gosh, that's so special. But it's neat to see that other, there's a connection. Yeah, there is. And even if they yeah. don't always understand it. Yeah. Like, I think some of the language in Boy, or, or, you know, yeah. they talk about Burger Rings, one of the films is Burger yeah. Rings. You know, there's, there's kind of, does that Burger play out? the best, man. <laughs> but it's not about that. It's actually just about these a unique insight into yeah. another culture or a slight particular. As long as it's not, it doesn't hit you over the head. Yeah. And it's probably because like it's, it's still Western enough. Yeah. It's not peculiar. Yeah. You can still understand the language and yeah. there's a nuance to, oh yeah, I can figure out that that's like, a, if you say a dairy to someone in the UK or, or the US, what, a literal dairy a with dairy. cows and stuff. Yeah. 
but once they see it, they understand yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, a corner shop. It's also an insight into a world. 50 yeah. cent mixtures. Yeah, but exactly. it's an insight into a world that totally. they have never seen. And yeah. that, that in itself is interesting. Mm. Yeah. Or so a unique we, voice or a unique take. Yeah. I was going to ask, because you spent some time, um, like we met years ago when you were just, just kicking off Terrify Film Festival. And then I know you've spent so much time overseas advocating for New Zealand film, trying to build up networks, content, um, streams as well for your film festival, bringing films back over, having premieres here, uh, at least New Zealand premieres of things that wouldn't have come. That was all your effort going on. Um, When you're overseas, how different is the market Film market, I don't know what to call it. I say market, might not be there. How, how different is the film industry and sector overseas than it is in New Zealand? What are the differences? Um, oh, I mean, New Zealand has got some advantages. I mean, we have okay. government funding. There mm. is money mm. in, in this market. A lot of countries don't, don't have that. Mm. Um, but then other countries, there's a lot of investors who mm. invest in, in, in their market-led film funds and, and various things. There are other kind of, you know, there's sort of pros and cons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, making of films is very different in different countries. I've been mm. very fortunate to be on set in America and I've been on set in a German production and how it runs is quite different. And then, like, the US has unions. There's all these kind of intricacies right. to doing it over there that there isn't. It's a bit, a bit freer here. Mm. And you can see the clashes when you, where they've tried to work together. Mm. Sometimes you can see the sort of clashes of... Of, of styles and the way in which it, it operates. I think we have a lot of freedom here. I think we've got a lot of creativity and there's also that, you know, not to be cliched again, but the number eight why where mm. people have got together to get it done. And you yeah. see a lot of these films yeah. are made for way under the budget that mm. they should have been given. Gotcha. But that causes problems, that people mm. are constantly working for nothing. Mm. And, you know, these yeah, even experienced yeah. people that I'm, I'm working, you know, some of the experienced people I'm working with now, I don't want to repeat that. I don't want to work, mm. you know, even though I got paid 50000 for two years' worth of work, that's... Mm. I can't sustain that and then hope mm. there's going to be money out the back end. Mm. We should be trying to mm. generate budgets that are actually going to pay people properly up front mm. so there's not that over-reliance on it. Mm. So, so the, you know, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a complicated mm. beast, mm. but I think New Zealand, there, there are some advantages New Zealand has that we can take advantage mm. of, but we just need to sort of corral that. But. One of the, um, so with our recent film festival, many of the films were released to the festival a few a week before they were released on Netflix, like that's just a whole new mind-blowing model, right? That you can watch art-quality films on Netflix. I just went, "Whoa, that's a great!" You know, my eighteen bucks a month is pretty awesome, right? Giving you new stuff, but there was also yeah. another platform you utilised. It was a new platform. Yeah, there's a, well, there's what's a, that going to do to movie making? Just streaming, the idea of streaming. I, right? Look, I, I think I think people. I mean, this is my own personal mm. opinion. People get hung up on... It, it's a great story mm. finds an audience, and now right. we have more ways right. to, to find it. that right. audience yeah. and for people to see it. Yeah. You know, some people will go to the cinema. Yeah. I, I, look, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a balance, and yeah. a lot of people are worried about how it will shape out. Mm. And if you own a cinema, you might worry too. Mm. And obviously COVID's affected that. But you mm. go, a great story can now get to its audience in a multitude of ways. Mm the pathways in each way are very different. It's like mm. solving any problem. You mm. go, you know, if you, if you want to solve this problem, uh, there are now more ways to solve the problem, mm. i.e. get people mm. to watch this amazing yeah. story. Mm. There are more ways to do that, but there are intricacies with that mm. and, and the way in which, you know, and all the politics around, you know, mm. um, exclusive rights and all of that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. ultimately, it's about sustainability. So you've got to tr- choose the right path that suits what your outcome is. I read mm. this great book, and it's actually quite... I think it would apply to a lot of things, and it was called um, 
beyond the box office, I think it was called. And it was about like rank your five priorities about what you want to do. Is mm. this about influencing the world? Is this mm. about uh, your own career progression? So mm. you know it's not your magnum opus, but it's, you know, mm. is this about making money? Is this mm. about eyeballs? And you mm. have to rank those. And then that, the way you rank them determines what pathway you okay, take. Okay, that makes good sense. Yeah, yeah it's clever. That makes good sense. And that's a, I don't know whether that answered the question, but it was an interesting yeah. way of going. Way of thinking like, about it. Way of thinking about it yeah. if you actually stop and go, okay, great. So, I mean, I always said if you made a, you know, a, an environmental doco, you wouldn't necessarily have to put it into cinemas. Why wouldn't you have private screenings for, yeah. you know, World well, Wildlife Fund yeah. and, yeah. and, and have yeah. those and then yeah. give it to them. Yeah. Um, once they've seen it, mm. and I'm, I'm making this up, but give it to them once they've seen it, and tell them to give this, you know, the hard drive, you mm. know, the, the, yeah. to, to everybody they know, because yeah. mm. you want it to influence the world. Mm. It's not actually necessary about mm. making the money Makes once sense. you've got the money to make it. So, I think it's unique. Does yeah. it make, no, does that answer cool. the no, question? It does. Sorry, it does. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when are you going to launch your NGO? Uh, next year. Oh, so I was hoping this year. Uh, uh, COVID's obviously put a yeah a few a yeah. few no, breaks on that, but it's also been time to reflect and think. And I think it's mm. been interesting. How, how is COVID? Like I've I've look obviously outside of the human cost of it, and mm. and, and obviously the economic cost, and, mm. and there's a lot of people struggling. So I'm certainly not, you know, um, but personally, I've also found it a time to reflect mm. on what I want to do, and mm. and also have time to think about in more detail. A bit mm. like you, running shoes on, running as mm. fast as I can in one mm. direction. Um, going, okay, let's, how does this actually practically, you know, what are the mm. practicalities of this and I need to think more about that and, mm. you know, so ha- how for you and what you're doing and, and obviously your wine business you're about to start, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How, how has COVID affected your thought process and about thinking about what you want to do? And yeah, really interesting. So I um, have a strategy because um, I've chosen to stay self-employed. People have said, why don't you grow something? And it's like, actually at the moment, um, it's, I just want to be me. Even my husband nags, why don't you get a, like an EA or something? Because I sit there at night doing my invoices badly and then he has to redo them because I don't do them badly. Why don't you take that? And it's like, no, actually for this phase, it's, it's me. Do you know? So I, um, and what I like is if it's sunny on a Tuesday afternoon, I'll go and sit in the garden. Do you know? Like, I love that at the moment I'm buying that freedom. Um, what COVID has done is... Um, So I always think about the year. I always set um, pretty clear goals. Like I'm quite goal. Goals work for me. They don't work for everyone, so I do. But what COVID has given me is access to markets and opportunities I would have never had. So um, I'm quite, I've got a whole number of platforms that are really important to me. And I have quite a, I would say, fairly large uh, LinkedIn process. So you're connected globally. And so I've been, um, I've done sort of paid keynotes and been invited to do consulting programs globally that I never would have done pre-COVID because they're not going to fly somebody from New Zealand and I don't want to spend two days to do an hour keynote, right? There's no way you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that way, it has given me um, the uh, an influence far greater, and you know, I've done, I'm doing an awful lot of work in Australia. Like, and you still would never have done it, right? And but I'm doing work in London, and I'm doing work in uh, the States because you're you're the right person. So it's given me access to global markets in a way that I never thought I would have. Um, <laughs> then you have to invoice in four currencies, and then you're sitting at night going, I wish I maybe had an EA. Um, the other thing I think it um, has done too, and this I guess is this the pure consulting model, is that there was always an expectation, say, that you would fly to Auckland and meet people face-to-face. Mm. So I would have a whole, 
you know, you might have three meetings and that was an, a 10 hour day. And so you have all the, obviously you have all that downtime and travel, don't have it anymore. You can have eight hours of productive meeting. Um, so I guess I'm far more efficient, if that makes sense. I'm an influencer because you haven't got those. Um, it's okay to say, no, I don't want to go into town and spend half an hour trying to find a park. Yeah. Can we just Zoom? Like that's actually okay where it wouldn't have been before. Yeah. Um, so I think there's an efficiency in our business. So you're on, you can be on all, all day, if that makes sense. The other thing is, is it makes you tired. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you are, you're intellectually thinking eight or nine hours. You're not sitting in a on a plane having a snooze. Does anyone else do that? Like you get the early plane and you just yeah. get on and sleep. I do. You know, <laughs> have um, you have an app, like you haven't got all that downtime. So I think I'm t- I, I'm tighter and my brain is stretched more and I just think I probably haven't, it's taken me too long to work that out. I probably should have built, bought more, like actually built some time in to go, actually, you're working far more intensively than, yeah. do you know? And I think that for many of us that is, we've been on mm. constantly. There's no commute, there's no walking around talking to people that's kind of lovely. We're on continuously all day, particularly when we're online. So yeah, it's given me amazing opportunities uh, to influence most of the work. Um, because I uh, pivoted very quickly was what, like within um, a week, uh, I do a lot of work for the Institute of Directors. Within a week we pivoted on to online in the first lockdown and I was quite happy and comfortable to go, okay, I'll give it a go. You know, first time facilitating a whole day session online. Yeah. I didn't sleep for two days before and you're totally out of your comfort zone. It's a totally different game. But once you've got that adapt when you can adapt to go actually it's a completely different way of being, um, online, you can actually have an amazing experience. So it was that learning, quick learning. Um, and so I think I probably have even better interactions and a more yeah, but by gosh, it, our poor brains have had a workout, haven't they? <laughs> hey. Yeah, and there's totally something called the Zoom fatigue, right? Um, I think we all had that during the lockdown particularly, right? Because we were mm. Zooming and then we'd Zoom our friends for drinks and stuff. Yes. And, you know, we were constantly, constantly on screen. On screen. Yeah. Um, and this is very different. There's some research yeah. out of Stanford totally uh, about so. the actual cognitive fatigue that Agreed. you experience because of a lot of different factors about totally. the screen, Yep. The, the scale, because yep. people are either this big or this big, and yeah, it's very yeah, different, yeah, and yeah. that's our brain's got to compute well, all to, that totally, constantly. Totally, totally, yeah. But also, I think we worked far more intensively, right? You yeah. don't have the got the eight cup hours of tea like with say, everybody, with right? Um, you, you actually scheduled meetings from eight mm. to six, right? And you might have given yourself a wee window for lunch, but even if we were in meetings like we are now, there's not a sense of intensity. Do you know yours? You have an opportunity when you're in person to relate. Yeah, just I don't think we be human, yeah. right? Which is actually quite refreshing. For me it refreshes. Yeah. But when we're in the um, online world it, you're not doing that so much. So it's a constant take of it. Yeah. It feels quite giving. Constant just it makes it I'm constantly yeah. giving. Yeah. And so you right by the end of the day you just like want to crawl into a little wall. Well for many people it's the opposite. <laughs> not watch T V <laughs> yeah, yeah, not uh, yeah. but for many people it's the opposite. They're constantly just getting deluged. Yeah, totally. Stuff, well their leaders are stuff. barking orders at them yeah, exactly. through Zoom. And that fatigue that. now is about that they're just not having voice not totally, agency. Totally. And now they're getting all this and then they go away and have to yeah, do the individual stuff. Yeah. And that, that fatigue is uh, is something that's gonna become bigger I think and yeah. more more credible and it's all the social media that yeah. comes you've got all of that screen stuff in say Netflix totally, and everything else totally. on top as well of as, yeah, totally. you're right as well as and so why I think I've got a huge um, efficiency um, and a huge reach so it's I'm absolutely blessed I guess that my business model worked and I and I acknowledge that many people's don't and I, yeah. we just have to say that there's been um, 
winners and losers as there always is, but it's often those who are least able to lose have lost, if that makes sense. So so what do you want to do with that reach? I know what I'm doing with my reach. I'm very similar. What do you tell tell me? Are you saying what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) What I want to know is that there's I want some things in the world sorted. <laughs> yeah. And what, what are those things? I mean, it, it gave me that time and the networks that I've built up yeah. over the last few years have given me my, a newfound drive for what I really want to do. So what is that for you? What's... Yeah, so the main one is um, I'm particularly um, interested. So the whole, I obviously have a lens of uh, gender equality, but the more I've learned and the better our data is, it has to be uh, the discrimination that happens in our workplaces by gender and ethnicity as well. We're learning more and more and more about how as humans we can actually discriminate. We've got lots of tools that we didn't even know we had. Uh, that we're consciously and unconsciously losing. So just when people are paid fair, like it's just basic humanity, right? So that's my aim, and I've got a a shared determination around that. Um, uh, The other one I would say, and they are related but not necessarily, is um, across the country there's about half a million of us that volunteer for our community organisations to govern them. And it's a really complex, we have huge liabilities on us that we don't often realise. Um, there are immensely important uh, organisations and their governors are immensely important leaders and are completely unsupported. You know, why would you walk up one day going, yeah, I'll help, I'll be a trustee, you know, I'll come onto this committee. Why on earth would you know how to do governance? Like it's just, um, so that's a passionate, and, I, and, and the long game there is, is the, more strategic and more leadership we have around the boards of our community organisations, the flow through, the return on investment for what those organisations can do is immense. So it's systems change uh, playing there. Um, So that would be the two kind of uh, pillars um, that I've kind of found my niche, if that makes sense, and uh, really driving change. So um, in the second one, I do an awful lot of work directly with boards. So I'll, um, and one thing I'd note following back to the COVID is that many Many boards have been meeting virtually for nearly two years, um, or nearly all virtually, and they've been making really hard decisions. Most of them have had to tackle the vaccination course, issue, yeah. and it's de- it's a values, it's an ethics issue, um, and they've had to do it um, without building the social capital that you get from sitting down having a cup of tea together. So I think lots of yeah. our boards, I'd say our teams and our workplaces, are running really low on what I'd say is just basic human social capital. Yeah. You know, the sense that we're actually... It's yeah. hard to be kind to somebody in a meeting over Zoom, right? Yeah. You know, it's that hard to be... That, you know, just how yeah. you're doing, or you look tired today. You just yeah. don't do that, eh? And we're running our organisations low on that, yeah. just by the nature. And I just think um, often the first thing people say to me, how do I make my board uh, perform better? And I say, we'll go out for dinner, <laughs> you know? Have a sheet, have, eat together. Yeah. You know, start being by being humans and then... then the better you relate and understand what gifts you're all bringing to the board table, the more you'll be able to have you know, really rich and hard conversations, mm-hmm. the more you'll be able to disagree, because that's where great decisions come from when you all, course, yeah. um, and the more you'll be able to add value to your community. So yeah, they're the two kind of platforms where I'm really um, pushing at the moment, yeah, and yeah, it's cool. pretty cool, eh? Yeah, it's pretty a lot on agenda slash, slash. me, sorry, dropped the, the mic. <laughs> You were told not to. I know, I, I did it. Sorry, on the gender slash ethnicity yes. thing. I guess where we met, we uh, did. obviously, when you first not first started, but yes. when you um, were launching that mm. platform around mm. Just Ask. Mm. Um, do you want to tell a little bit of story about what where that started from and where it is now? 
Yes, so um, you picked me uh, to do a TED Talk. Not me personally. It's all somebody it in your system did, it. which was really... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Share the load there. Share the load. Okay, so I was picked uh, to do, what year was it? 2017. 2017. Oh, crikey. It was a big so one, that was, um, the, that was pretty much a few months after I'd stepped out of being, uh, stepped out of my yeah, CE right. role. And it was quite important to me because as a public servant, you have the immense gift of being able to brief ministers and to be mm. inside the tent, which means you don't, and rightly so, have the ability to throw stones outside, right? Which means you're silent. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, nobody should know what you think outside, you know. Yeah. If you can't be, you know, you have that immense privilege to be right in the centre of it. Um, and that's where you have your voice. So you don't have a personal profile. You don't have any views of your own. Um, and so the TED Talk for me was my first um, ever public saying something that I cared about. Mm-hmm. It's about Joe. So it was frightening. You would have seen I was nearly, I was probably your worst person because I'm not at all okay but we, <laughs> no, we in understood terms the of gravity before, of it. yeah it was we quite understood. big and you couldn't yeah. get it you also couldn't get it wrong when you and um even this is like how many years ago we weren't even mm. talking about gender then we weren't talking about pay gaps That's we right, weren't yeah. measuring them they weren't and um, I had had the experience where I had been paid substantially less in a public service role and um, and I'd seen it in and around and um, so I talked about it actually this is and look at our pay gaps look, mm. look what's happening and is this really okay? And what can we actually do? So a call to action to go, actually, we're not passive victims. We're all, we all have power. We're consumers. We're employees. We've got all sorts of things. Let's go and ask and ask our organisations to tell us what their pay gaps are. Once you've seen the pay gap, it's pretty hard to ignore, right? If it's big, if it's large, it's ugly. Mm-hmm. Once it's out, and um, it's in that kind of dark shadows uh, that all these gaps happen, right? It's all just, and a lot of it's, we know from all the research, most of the gaps now are driven by discrimination. They're not by expertise or, yeah. Mm. And it's just patterns. It's not necessarily people starting out to be malicious or anything. It's just mm-hmm. a whole series of, we can all see how it happens, but when, um, it's actually about who's got money in the bank account to buy groceries. It's not a, a pay gap as a number, but it's actually about who can buy school shoes for their kids. Yeah. Do you know? Or who can buy a house or who can retire. So... It's, there's a big game here, so I guess that's... Um, but yes, I did a uh, TED Talk, and it was frightening. And, uh, it was, that's all I can Good. say. I it watched it. I, I actually wrote down a whole lot of stuff after watching it. I have still not seen it. Haven't you? Ever. I don't think I'll watch this. I will but never, ever, ever see that's it. Good. I never knew that. Do you want to know the funniest thing? So my um, daughter, maybe a year or so later, her and her friends looked it up. Right. And she's, they would have been about 13 or 14, and she came home and the little trope she'd say to me all the time was, I'm angry, which is how I start. <laughs> That's right. So every time her, her little group of friends came home, they'd go, I'm angry. <laughs> so they took the piss out of me, basically. Which is good, at least they'd watch it, because yeah, they are exactly. going to be right that, at the forefront yeah, of pay gaps. Um, no, yeah. I'm not going to ever watch it. I think I'm going to remember standing on the carpet in front of the audience rather than... Like my experience good energy, of it. wasn't it? it yeah, was it was great. amazing great. energy. Yeah, good yeah. experience. Thousand people. Yeah. Five thousand people online. Yeah, no it was pressure. pretty. No we pressure. We didn't tell you that bit though, did we? No, but we, we told knew. You a thousand people. We knew. Um, and we the night before we'd done a because we did a full run through, and right. the person and we became really tight as a TED I group. Was such a good group. We were because we were, there's a lot at stake for many of us. And we did a run through the night before, and the person who went before me got up on stage, and it was doing it like it was doing any 
forgot everything and fluffed it. Mm-hmm. And I nearly cried, you know, going, oh, my God, what if I do that? Do you know? So, but it was good. I didn't. Got up there. Um, but um, the ramifications were a whole lot of people asked, and I stayed with, uh, an, I stayed learning in a lot of other countries, nearly all the countries that we would compare ourselves with have gone, actually, pay gaps are not okay, and they've forced businesses to to say what their pay gaps are. Mm. The UK did it about 10 years ago, Australia, and as a result, their pay gaps have dropped. So um, I was approached about um, a year ago from an amazing uh, woman who is a private uh, philanthropist and said, if you could do one thing for New Zealand women, what would it be? And I said, well, if they're working, could they be paid properly? And bingo, we're on again. And so we're encouraging businesses to do it, to supporting businesses to self-report, like actually go and look at your gaps and then be like, this is what modern business does, right? And this is what talent wants to see. It wants to see how you're going to discriminate against them. And modern consumers want to know if you treat your staff well, right? So it's totally a market position, right? So, And a whole lot of businesses um, are stepping up to the plate. And um, on International Women's Day, we'll release a register of who has, so everybody can see. Everyone can also see who hasn't, which will be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, we're working really hard with ministers and on a bill that will potentially... Every uh, organisation that employs over 50 people will be will have to report. Um, and we just launched Just Ask, which is, again, we're not victims of this. We can ask, and people are um, asking the banks, asking the supermarket. Just, yeah, what are the pay gaps and what are you doing about them? Pretty simple question, eh? Put so it's going to be potentially law? Yes, hopefully. That's amazing. What, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. And we'll be world leading because we want to do not only gender, but we're going to do the intersection of ethnicity, right. and no one else right. in the world has done that. So we'll be totally... That's we're, cool, we're catching right. up yeah. to everyone, but we're going to totally overtake them. And stretch. Because yeah. it's not only about gender, right? It's our Māori and Pacific woman. Mm-hmm. The gaps are... I don't know how we... You know, they're horrible. It's horrible. What I liked about that talk too, yeah. on the flip side of that, because you covered at that time you covered yeah. the Australian government change, yes. but was it, towards the end you were giving the tips of to people how to on ask. how how to ask it's because it's you know from the top and from the bottom you yeah. need to have influence. Yeah. So what and it was you know even though it was once you listened to it it was really yeah. simple. It wasn't just about you asking, even though if you had the courage yeah. to ask, but it's about getting your workmates, male totally, and female, to come totally. with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's some really interesting, yeah. simple ways to do that. Yeah. And I guess anybody who's not hasn't watched your talk, maybe you want to talk about it here. Yeah. Is just I found it fascinating. I was like going, of course it's so simple, but I never mm. thought of it that way. It's mm. sometimes the light bulb doesn't quite go mm-hmm. on, but it was about those simple steps that you can mm. actually then just go and raise it yeah. as an issue. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think it is um, still true even now that um, to ask these kind of questions, you could be labelled a troublemaker, you know, and we really don't like t- talking about money and we really don't like talking about discrimination. We'd rather prefer it didn't, that it was washed under the carpet, right? Mm. Um, and so I think that even now, it's 2021, nearly 2022, and we can't, you know, can't, it's people yeah. are frightened to ask their bosses, yeah. are there pay gaps? Well, I think we should just hold hold that, like, what are, what are we doing? But yeah, um, the whole sense of don't put yourself in harm's way by doing it. There's lots of other ways. You can often have a ask your team leader to ask your boss or uh, go in a big group or lots of organisations now have ask your boss forums and stuff where mm-hmm. you can ask questions. They've got uh, tech. Or um, there's union reps floating around who can definitely ask those. You know, there's so many ways you can ask, right? And 
with the emergence of things like Glassdoor as well help mm. with that? This is in like an online platform totally. where they like rate, you know, not just working conditions, but also scale uh, in terms of wages and stuff. Totally, so straight away, someone totally. could go on and go, yeah. well, what is, oh, that's not compatible. Yeah, absolutely. And totally, use totally. that as evidence of, yep. hey, I think Well, all the research coming out of the UK, and as I say, they've probably had 10 years of this, is that employees, potential employees will go and Google because it's a public register and see if the organisation they're applying for has got big gaps or not and choose whether they're... Of course right. you would. Why yeah. would you go and work with someone that's going to discriminate against you? Yeah. And so it becomes a real marketing talent pool. Um, and increasingly they're finding, again, people are choosing not to buy off brands yeah. that have horrible gaps. Yeah. So it totally, there we have consumer power, right? Um, and why one. would you want to have a... Bit, a you know, uh, work for an organisation that's yeah. kind of, you know, off the back of your labour, really, eh? Totally. It's interesting. Yeah. Do you think it's the New Zealand sort of, you know, that tall poppy thing where we kind of yeah. play under the radar that stopped a lot of this from happening? Because I remember working, you know, obviously in the mm. fundraising side, looking at, you know, what was happening in, in particularly corporate philanthropy mm. out mm. of, you know, the US and Australia, and they were so far advanced mm. from where we were, and and people weren't dem- were demanding that. Of their of the businesses they were buying from yeah, and things yeah, like that, yeah, but it yeah. it hadn't quite translated to New Zealand. Yeah, we were kind yeah. of a step behind, and I wonder if that's just a, a our nature where we're mm. kind of quieter and don't yeah, raise totally, raise totally, issues yeah. where we should. We do live in a village, right? And you don't want to throw to, stones, yeah. but yeah, it means we've got some of the worst gaps for our, you know, so the consequences of being quiet are now, quite high. Now on the gap idea, mm. now there's always there's always been pushed back to any discourse around public policy and changes mm. and balance, equity, mm. equality, mm. and all these things. Mm. And the big pushback around the gender pay gap has always been, when I've seen it out there, is that, yeah, but um, different people of different genders choose different jobs which mm. are lower paid. Mm. That's the inequality. Yeah. And therefore that then, when they calculate out, there's mm. no gender pay gap. Mm. What do you say to those kind of... So, um, I never have a yeah, thing yeah, yeah. To say no, to it's that. a great like, question. Oh. So, um, I have my little group of what I call gender pay gap deniers who don't think there is a gender pay gap. Course, yeah. My little friends, I call them my little, my little <laughs> okay. trolls, my little lovely Brian's. And so, the usual um, arguments are yes. So, the, the usual argument we get is um, well, women often work part time because they are looking after children, so of course they're paid less. But the gender pay gap calculations are by hour, so that doesn't count, if that makes sense. So it doesn't, if you only work part-time, you're only counted for part-time. But what we've also found is that you pay a penalty for working part-time. You often have been paid 15, 20% less Mm. as exactly your full-time counterpart. So you're not valued as much, right, basically. Mm -hmm. So there is a, that often happens there. We often find in workplaces that are very feminised, so you think about, say, school teachers or nurses, um, that the wages are low because the work isn't so... Often those caring roles, you would have seen it in the, um, in the sectors you work with, they aren't as valued. But the, the um, pay equity legislation now breaks down the job. So a nurse breaks down its job and said it's probably far more comparable when you look at the skills they need and the responsibility that they have is probably like a senior police officer who we pay double and so that we use comparators if that makes Mm. sense so you're actually not you're trying to take away the fact that nurses are 
woman and uh, undervalued and go, oh, actually, what are they doing? And there's a whole lot of methodologies we break down the work. What are you doing? Well, they're making life and death decisions about what medication you get and da 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 like that, um, and they've got all these, they're empowered to do all these kind of things and they have to do, so they, and what sort of technical level of skill you need. And so it completely takes the value, all the subjectivity out of it and goes, okay, so what's a comparable job? Mm. And you can do that quite, and then you end up with, you know, huge disparities um, in terms of the way you think about things. The other thing um, I often hear is um, that uh, women aren't in the senior roles, like they yep. don't want the pressure of the senior roles decay. Uh-huh. We're not a bit too fragile for that, maybe. <laughs> or that we're making choices about our home lives and all those kind of things yeah. as well. And I, I just think that's a sad argument that um, that says, you know, uh, is there only some people that, you know, we're automatically assuming that women will take care of what's happening at home. A whole lot of unconscious decisions are made about whether you, do you know, whether you're even offered the opportunities yeah. I can remember sitting and going, well, you want this, you won't want this because you've got a baby. It's like, well, can I at least, I have the choice about right, whether yeah, I take that or not. And my husband's quite capable of changing their piece too. Thank yeah. you, Sunshine. Um, he probably does it better. He's an engineer. It gets better. <laughs> and <laughs> even when you had the role, you realised you were paid less as well. Totally. So you were totally. in post. Yeah, and so. paid less than uh, comparators as well. So there's multiple layers, and it, uh, uh, there's no great conspiracy, do you know? Well, mm. there may be some evil bosses, there always is, but there's no great conspiracy. You can just see how it happens over time. Yeah. And a lot of it is um, we are women, like they've got some really neat data. So like with the accountants, they can map nearly the whole um, industry, and women will even start with a with a degree, uh, they'll even start 10%, they'll get offered a 10% less salary than their male graduates. Right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. So therefore it's compounds. And then you take some maternity leave and then you don't get, you know, you know, just and over a lifetime it's a huge amount. It doesn't mean you're less skilled, less anything, but you're you're devalued. And again, what I would say is that it's a waste of talent uh, because we're not, you know, don't. We need everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> who's got the brains and the ambition and the talent in the places, right? And we don't want to... Um, and also, it's um, deeply unfair when uh, when you're talking about whether somebody can buy groceries or not. Because that's that what it comes it, down yeah. to, right? It comes that's, down to who can buy a house, who can pay yeah. the mortgage off. Or like uh, you do say, have a good get, retirement or yeah, who, support who other kids people. Can, um, and when it starts to play out, as I say, when you're a Pacific woman and the gap's about 27%, Think about what that means each week. Yeah. It's huge, right? And over time. And over time. Because that's that compound You never effect. get any assets. You never get ahead. You so never have anything to pass on to your children. And it's we systemic, see, right? It's and totally like you systemic. say, it's not one usually one person's fault. It's not one yep. person being big. There are evil bosses. Of course. But not the, it's, not the, it's a systems issue, right? Right. So the systems issue is to flush the... So the system solution is flush it, right? Put it all out. Mm. So we can all see. It's interesting because there's almost two sides to it. There's, there's yeah. the bias that we have. Yeah. So there's the, the, the biases that mm. are you know, generational or legacy biases, mm. but also mm-hmm. biases that exist today. And then there's the point you made is about the outcomes of what you do. Mm. Actually, that whole archaic system of yep. going, you're getting paid per hour. Yes. Because if I come up with, you know, an ex- just was flicking through my head going, if I came up with an idea to solve that problem and it took me 20 minutes, but you gave it to another company and they said, well, that's $10,000 for us to come up with a solution for you. Mm. What's the difference in the value? Mm. The fact that it took me 20 minutes because it popped straight into my mm. head and it's a bloody mm. great idea. Well, yeah. 
than a flat charge going, <laughs> we're going to spend 100 hours on this mm. and this is what it's worth. It's kind of like it's, there's almost two sides to that. Yeah, totally. Because it's, you're fighting against yeah, the bias yeah, yeah, here, yeah. but you're also fighting against an institution that goes, your hourly, yep. the amount of hours you work yes. is, is determined well, at what your output is. So you're seen as valuable right. if you're sitting at your desk, right? What do they call yeah. it, sorry? Presentism. Presentism, yeah. Uh, so you're right. valuable if you're sitting at your desk. You might be doing nothing, or you might be looking at Facebook all yeah. day, and the woman yeah. who works part-time might have totally kicked ass on whatever, but she's going to get paid less because yeah. she wasn't there on, on Friday. Just, yeah, it's all this Victorian, it's, it's, yeah. it's all the... Mm. Um, the Victorian factory model, right? And yeah. we just kept it going. And when it clock starts in, to play out, out right? When it starts to play out, yeah. you can see in our modern workplaces, we've just kept going. Mm. We are quite Victorian in the way, like you have a supervisor, right? We, now we call them chief executives, but they're doing the same thing, eh? Sitting in their high office, looking out at their, mm-hmm. it's not that Pointing much difference, things. eh? Like the apex yeah. is the factory model, right? Mm-hmm. So we haven't really evolved that well, far. As you say, we? like even the chief execs is interesting, had an interesting experience where the chief exec was actually more acting like a general manager. Yeah. So they were micromanaging, managing. Even at, usually at the top of more at the top of the buildings, right? They so were, they can yeah. Overlook the metaphorical factory. Yeah. It's nothing different. It's like Scrooge, eh? Still. Yeah. Well, it was that whole change about fifteen years ago, uh, 10, 15 years ago, about holacracy. Remember that as a as a governing model where you just basically flatten everything out. Mm. And Zappos was a big leader in that. Mm. Tony Shea. Um, was pushing the old holacracy, and really, it's about empowerment. I mm. think they got the the branding wrong because mm. everybody's like, "Oh, you just like muck around," and it's like, "No, it's about empowering mm. your workers once mm. they know what they're there to do." Mm. High trust model, mm. empower them. Mm. Still, there needs to be some oversight. Yeah. Also, accountability, than, right? There we go. Yeah. I was going to say that, but it's different mm. than governance. It's mm. accountability and personal mm. accountability of going, mm. yeah, I need to do this job. We all agree that's what I need to do because then I need to hand that off to you. Mm. And there's some factory modeling of just how the world works, yeah. right? Yeah. We're all cogs in the wheel. i got to yeah. turn a little bit so you can turn exactly, a lot, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. So it's complementary, but yeah, the high trust model of uh, holacracy did have a lot of promise, mm. and then it kind of fell over. But it's mm. never spoken it's about anymore. It's interesting you say that because when yeah. we were talking earlier, I thought about the Roxy Cinema, which is I mean, again, mm. right? Yeah, that that I run the festival through, mate, and they were the ones that supported me at the beginning. They run that way, where it's so a completely right. flat management structure. So mm. all of the teams from the from the bar staff all the way through mm. the program manager sit on an equal. Obviously, there is oversight and there mm. is you know you know accountability, but mm. yeah the entire team mm. work on a flat management structure. Mm, and if you you know see the way they operate and the events they put on, mm. and the, the, obviously I received the support from that. Mm. But it's really interesting. They are so ahead mm. of their game and on mm. top of their game for what they need to do mm. um, as a result of that because mm. everybody gets to input yeah. equally into the way in which the business is run and the ideas that they come up with and the way in which yeah, they yeah. operate. I've really I've also said, I don't want to be there dark hat but I've also seen organisational cultures usually very often in the community sector where there's a sense that everyone should have a say and nothing gets done because mm. you're spending a whole lot of time do you know Agreed. talking too so where do you get that balance of it could be a scale thing yeah, that's a small yeah. scale if you're talking you about a nation like, we have to ask yeah. everybody if we can like to get a mandate I have to go and ask everybody yeah. to do something and by the time I've done that I've lost the world to live yeah. so there is a balance to a and it depends on the organisation it depends yeah. on how big you are yeah. what your reach is, what you're trying to achieve. I yeah, guess it's all totally. slightly different. You have to factor in what model. It's like one size does not fit all. Yeah. So you have to, there's multiple models out there. You've just got to find the best one that works yeah, for you, yeah, yeah. I guess. But yeah. 
not get stuck into a, hey, this is the way we do it. I'm the boss, do as I say. Do as I, yeah. Point of things. Well, appreci- as soon as you have kids, you realise that model doesn't work. Is that right? They don't, they don't do what you're saying. Okay. I've got nieces and nephews. Does that yeah, count? Well, if you stood them there yeah. and, and, and barked orders at them, what would they do? Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. They'd attack my face. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, you're right. I'm conscious of your time and in terms of not just quickly ratting it up, but leading towards a kind of maybe a pinnacle. Yeah. Um, have you got any burning questions you want to ask each other? I've got one for you. Mm. Like, what does your day look like? Like, <laughs> when you're doing creative stuff, like I do stuff, I sit in front of a screen and what do you do? Like, what does it look like? Like, how do you be well, like, creative? I a bit at the moment, but I, I, I love it. My brain is wired that way. Mm. So when I am trying to solve a problem or do mm. something, I'll work on it for a bit and then I'll walk away and do something else or mm. I might talk to somebody, back in the days when you can talk mm. to people, uh, and doing that and my brain will just tick over the solution. Mm. It's really weird. I work in spurts, mm. which actually sort of works for me so I can work on multiple things at multiple times. And that's actually lent down the film path because as an exec producer, you're more sort of, you're not, the day-to-day grind on one project, you're working mm. on multiple things. It's the way I'm wired, or at least mm. I've figured out that's the way I work really well. Mm. So I can kind of, I've built that into going, well, okay, cool, I can work on multiple things and my brain will tick away solutions. I also tend to just, and I love doing lots of things because mm. I soak in solutions to stuff mm. while I'm doing it. It's weird, we talked about, you talked about YouTube and I came up with an idea the other day after watching some comedy clips from the UK mm. and applied it to a, to a not-for-profit. Mm. campaign idea and I did one uh, that the the walk of faith if you've ever seen the stars on the waterfront in Wellington yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. that was something I was standing on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and I was on holiday and I was in LA and I was looking at these stars and I went um, oh it's interesting he's a because they had a Christmas star campaign yeah. so it was just in the back of my mind but it, and and I went oh these stars represent people who have a lot what happens if we did something in Wellington about people who have nothing and, and also, it was a visible thing. They needed visibility, so mm. it kind of. But it was weird. I'm just mm. wired that way, so mm. I kind of like that. So jumping mm. around and doing lots of interesting things, and even like, even when I'm away on holiday, my brain sort of continually ticks over. I don't find that. I, well, I do find it tiring, but I I also find it invigorating, mm. and so I, I'm happiest when I do that. Mm. But that was just. It took a while to figure out that was my process. Mm. It was really interesting because I always mm. thought I was. I had attention problems or whatever, <laughs> but I actually figured out that my brain no, solved problems you, yeah. while I was, I soaked in everything I needed to. Yeah. My brain would then solve the problem later while nice. I was looking at something else. Nice. So it was kind of, so I have, I, I enjoy my day. Nice. <laughs> As a film producer, does that sometimes, not all the times, but that, does that be, a, is that a challenge for you to enjoy films? No, mm. I've, I've met, I can switch off. Right, no, you I can switch off completely. No, no, I can't. I, but I, I guess my part of it is finding the, the new ideas and finding the money and the sales point, and things yeah. like that. I'm not stuck into the day-to-day. I'm not a director going, oh, that was, you know, mm. the, 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 the eye alignment or whatever they call it is not, yeah. is not quite right. The technicalities of it I'm not mm. as involved in, so I can okay. switch off. And my lover, I've always tried to keep my lover films of <clears throat> down to the film. It's interesting, I, was, I think it was Alfonso Cuaron, uh, okay, one of these directors, I heard a speech and he, he'd lost the world to live after doing a Hollywood film. And he, wow. then he went down to his local video store and spent four weeks locked up in his house with movies, remembering why he loved doing what he was doing. Nice. Mm. And, and that, you know, I, I try not to forget that. 
And it's also not just in film, but it, you know, when working in the not-for-profit space and remembering those conversations, even though they're hard to remember and they always make yeah. you well up, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's about those people. It's not about me. It's not about you know. It's not necessarily even about the money. It's about going how many more outcomes, how, you know, how many better people are going to be better off. And I think if you can find that, that will just drive you, and then you just figure out how you work. I guess it's sort of everybody's different. I great answer. Is that, <laughs> is that um, my burning question for you, I think we've kind of covered it too, but it's just, you know, you're working in a space where, you know, it's so historic, the issues, mm. you know, the, the, the inequity space. Mm. How, how do you go about solving a problem like that? I mean, you've talked about influence in government and getting mm. other people. How, how important is it to get the people to rise up, I guess, is probably the question I've got for you. How, yeah, do, how yeah. do you go about doing that I mean you're yeah. I mean as much as you haven't seen your yeah. TED talk mm. I loved it I learned mm. a lot out of it particularly mm. how do you you know how you'd go about tackling mm. a problem like that. how do you actually influence people mm. in a culture where we're quite quiet mm. to actually stand up and go no this isn't right mm. this isn't okay I want to yeah, say something yeah. but not in a yep. way that causes an adverse reaction that causes a positive reaction yeah so um so obviously the mind the gap campaign that we're working on has got those three arms to it and they're very deliberate um to make it, uh, if, if uh, obviously the government is very interested in this, but they're very busy at the moment, they've lost lots of time in the house, mm. uh, you know, is this going to be a priority or not? I'd argue that making sure people have enough money to pay their groceries is a priority. Yeah. Um, uh, so obviously we've got a place there, but the more it's a system, right, the more um, businesses do this, the bit easier it becomes for government to, to legislate it. And the more uh, we demand of businesses to do it, the more they're going to. Like it's a system. We've created a system mm. of change, if that makes sense. And it is. It's very. We've. Uh, I mean, I come from a, a social policy background, so we have all the tools of intervention. Like I actually applied all that complexity thinking to how to develop a campaign. So in terms of your question, the arm around um, how we, what, what's our approach to campaign? Well, it's multi-level because we're all different individuals. So there will be an element that says uh, to men, this is about your sisters and your mum, right? Mm -hmm. And you want the best for them. So there'll be a piece there that's a different message. Um, we've got a whole lot of very, um, a whole generation of young women coming through that just can't believe this shit is still there. And so they're far more militant, I think. And so we're really tapping into that. We've got all the head students and, you know, like there's a whole... Um, it's interesting when I look at my kids, they actually go and look at, before they buy sneakers, they'll go and research the brand to see if they're using, child, you know, child poverty. Like, we would have never thought about it. One, yeah. we didn't have the internet. Two, we probably didn't have sneakers. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's a sense, so a tapping into that as well. And then there's a lot of us that do, um, have got into positions of influence. So um, our directors on boards, and so I'm leading a lot of work around that to go, hey, we better use our power and our influence to make sure our organisations that we have control of. So there's networks like uh, Global Women and those that we're, uh, we're I'm part of that we can start to... So it's multi-pronged, if that makes sense, and so it's mm -hmm. going to be a different message for Brilliant. everyone as well. Yeah, yeah, layers, right? That's what you need. Yeah, and we just don't Great. have to take it, I think, is the answer, eh? Yeah. And um, don't ask if you're not safe, right? But find a way to get somebody else to ask. I used to do a lot of that when I was in the public service. I was the youngest chief executive when I was a woman, and I'd just get one of the big guys that would be listened to to ask my question. And mm. then, Do you know? Yeah. Like, you'd just be Love. sneaky continuously, eh? So. Love. Yeah. Love that. So that's kind of our 
cunning plan. Now I've given up all our secrets. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I've just told everybody what I'm planning to do. Yeah, um, yeah. So the idea is that there's um, different sets, just the how you do marketing, there's different segments and different ways mm, people okay. will engage with us and we'll run it over three or four months and find a space for everyone where we can help everyone take, you know, a bit of control. Mm, that's great. And when does it launch? Yeah, on Monday, like on uh, yesterday. Oh, we're, we're live. There you go. Brilliant. I was in Seven Sharp last night. Were you? Yeah. And I garbled it. It's I'm sure you didn't. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, we totally went That's live. Fantastic. So you're, you're, you you're, we're going to be in your face for the next few months. So Good. Just get so used to be. it. Good. And hopefully <laughs> this will help get the message out there. Yeah, what well, organisations so. can you ask? There's plenty. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're involved in the couple. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, also, you know, and it would, an industry that hasn't traditionally... I was going to say that the, I mean, the number of women directors is pretty, you know... It's getting, it is getting better. It's yeah. nowhere near where it should be, of course. Yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously the movements that have come through mm. have, have highlighted issues and some of those systemic mm. issues now are, well, not, not dead and buried, but mm. they are, people are not afraid to speak up about yeah. issues and inequalities. Some of those uh, the Hollywood is, actors where the actress or the woman actor is paid far less than the, yeah. and they're being very vocal now. Aren't yeah, they, they are, yeah, absolutely. And so you're seeing a lot more of that yeah. and I think that Rightly long may so. that continue. Mm. And I think, but I, I think also it's, you know, as I said before, eliminating some of the, you know, the barriers to opportunity for mm. everyone mm. Uh, and then making sure that it's an equal path mm. through that. You know, there's no, there's just sort of try and, I mean, again, kumbaya, but try and remove the bias where possible. And mm. I think, but this is one industry that historically was really bad and it's had mm. a lot of light shined on it, mm. um, which is, I think, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just got to now channel that energy into mm. providing those opportunities mm. uh, and creating pathways going forward back to, mm. I guess, back to my original point. But also having a, constantly having a look and going, have we got gaps here? Yeah. What are we, who is yeah. getting up? Well, are we constantly doing yeah, what we should yeah. be doing? Yeah. Like it's constant, you know, that sort of auditing ourselves, yeah. I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. No burning questions for me? Oh, yeah, I'm I do. Kidding. Actually, I'm no, 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 you, I mean... I've, I've got a question for you because you've gone through the TEDx stuff and you, you know, you yeah. obviously got Creative Welly here and you're, you know, what, you, you're so invested in, in bringing to light all of these interesting people, I won't count myself in that, but, but oh, Joe, well. uh, and, and, and creating, you know, a Wellington that is creative and innovative and showcases and highlights mm. All the best things about it, and provides opportunities to then get involved. What What do you see? How do you see your involvement in that going forward? Outside of this, obviously, but but where do you? I, d- I don't know if I will sustain it. You know, it's mm. just like Wellington for me is just a wonderful hotbed of good mm. people, mm. and I always come back to that poem on the over from Civic Square over to the boat mm. thing, where mm. the poem talks about Wellington as, as a, a, a verb city. It's an action city. You've got to mm. attempt to be there. Mm. Now, historically, that was so true. Mm. No one ends up in Wellington. You've got mm. to attempt to get there, mm. right? So we're f- surrounded still by that sensibility of mm. people uh, action-focused and, you know, we mm. attempt things a lot. Again, I think the systems that surround this city politically and, and other agencies, very much like your sector that you're trying to, mm. to, to influence, um, has lacked uh, really the idea of cultivation mm. and curation mm. here mm. rather than an attraction strategy. Mm. Now, it should be in concert. Mm. So for me, that was my big push, as you know, in our conversation that we've had about there should be a balance here of mm. really celebrating and amplifying voices existing within our community mm. and the divergence and diversity 
diversity of those mm. voices. It shouldn't just be one, it should be lots mm. of multiples, mm. rather than just pour all your money into something uh, mm. that no has succeeded. Mm. Well, that succeeded because it started 20 odd years mm. ago back there, and mm. we need a lot more seed mm. you know, funding for lots of these other things mm. to, to grow and things. That's where the lack is. And I thought for a while that would be my focus. I don't know, because I'm at that point where you described earlier mm. of my tank kind of running mm, full I in see. that regards. Mm. So I'm going, well, what is next for me? And the courageous of courageous conversations with bold mm. humans is where I'm trying to lean into. Mm. Like, what's co- courageous for me nowadays? Mm. Well, that is doing much more creative things, mm. things that nobody's doing things that really scratch my creative itch and bring people along with me, mm. like our good friend Jono, who produces this. This wouldn't have happened without him and having those collaborations, those creative collaborations. Mm. I think that's where I want to lean into. Yeah. It sounds, sounds like we're all sort of in the cultivation space mm. in some way. I think that's an interesting, it's interesting Well, that was my final question to you, Durat, about where are you walking out of this session to be going to be more courageous? Because that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be a bit more bold in 2022 of my artistic and creative lens and putting that out into the world. Mm. Much more personal uh, rather than what I've tried to be doing is community driven. I'm mm. going to just turn the lens a little bit inward. Mm. Now. So what, what's courageous for you, Pear, to finish um, this up? I think, um, so I'm, I'm starting to do my strategic, I'm going to have a strategic planning session with myself, mm. the best mm. type. Um, I actually think twenty twenty two. It's I'm going to be create. Um, I'm going to work less. Cool, that's bold from someone. It who's is quite bold. Loves for action me. and whether, whether I can uphold it. I think I mm. am probably getting to the uh, quantity over quality. Yeah. If, you know, so I probably I've probably done too Slightly. much, and I probably have. Yeah. So. Mm. I wrote a, um, I write a uh, two-weekly column, and it's the first time ever over the last three or four months I've gone, oh, I have to write it. Right, so it's an indication. And, yeah, it? because that's a platform. You know, you, I've been gifted yeah. this beautiful platform. And I went, no, that's when you're getting to the point where you've got nothing to say and you're scratching, mm. maybe you need to start uh, stepping, you know, st- still keep going, but go – uh, more powerfully, perhaps less, if that makes sense. Yes, I love yeah. that. What yeah. a great answer. Mm. Thank you. What about you, James? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things from this conversation, mm. being a better leader and what a leader mm. means, and because I know I need to, what I'm stepping into isn't mm. just reliant on me and, and working with other teams, so I'm going to have mm. to bring people along the journey, so it's really understanding that for me and being better in that space. I wouldn't say it's more courageous, but better. Mm. Um, but also, again, you know, you get to those points in your, in your life, and I do back myself. I, I totally believe in what, I, what I'm capable of, but this is a big step, and often when it's really, really close to you, you've got mm. to give yourself that. So I need to be more courageous in backing my vision for this um, and putting my foot down, not running and running shoes, but putting my foot down and, be- and believing in what I'm about to do. And I, I do believe in it, please don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there's always that, you know, the little seed of doubt because I'm so close to it, sometimes mm. that can sort of mm. creep in. So I guess, you know, 2022 is about going, yeah, man, this is, this is going to happen. But I know okay. I need to bring people along, so I need to, you know, become a better leader as a result. So, so you're going to really become an amazing leader, and I'm going to try and get to Costa Rica for an O birthday. <laughs> I love and the I'm diversity. Both of those right. oh, no, I just want to, tra- I want to travel again too. So, like, like, don't <laughs> get me wrong. Fill me off. Next year yeah. revolves 
getting back to getting mm. getting out there because it's, it's so nice. inspiring. It's it doing, is. Right to your point, Joe, being able to have that break, mm. and I find that because you know so the way mm. I operate is getting out there and just doing stuff or taking mm. a break. You'd be surprised what you soak in mm. and how that They've actually got turns sloths out. Sloths in Costa Rica. <laughs> Don't you just want to see one of them move? Mm-hmm. That's quite cool, right? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and how influenced will you be by when you come back by sloths I, I as know, your strategy? Is, it like, seems at odds with they the... They just hang out. They're so chill. But they have a great life. They're literally yeah. built for hanging. Although, so they, they hang out. They are really, really nice. evolved, right? Because yeah. they don't get much um, nutrition. So they have to think about every movement. Maybe we could learn. Maybe we think yeah, about every movement as purposeful, right? Mm. I love that. Than I, I, I feel some sneakers. new branding coming along. I'm not quite sure where it's going to land yet, but we'll. <laughs> I'd love for the branding to be a sloth. Oh, I don't know what brand out there has a sloth for its own brand. Make that work. That'd be a good creative challenge. But I think you're on. You're on. You're you're on there. Maybe you're well, on. You can something. have it. You can have, have it. Have my. Have it. We'll do a new Take collaboration it. about slow creativity or something. And well, we'll slow, sloth. slow cooking and all sorts of things. It is, is thing, slow movement. It? Yeah, definitely. What about slow leadership? Maybe that's a thing. There you go, you can have it. I think, I think, again, cut that. I think we'll need to rebrand that somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be spent. <laughs> but no, I love it. Yeah. Thank awesome. you, good humans, cool. for your time Thanks, guys. Today. That was so much fun. So that was Creative Welly, episode 24. My name's DK. It's been amazing to have you with us. Thank you for your time and attention. Again, big shout out to a partner in crime, John O'Tucker from Empire Films, for producing the video podcast. Also, David Hamilton from Flash Dog Studio for hosting us as well. Thank you, David. This has been... Creative Welly, Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. Check us out at creativewelly.com and we'll be back in a week or two's time with the next episode. Take care and continue to have courageous conversations with bold humans.